electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli. Kramer has the morning off. Uh, Dow futures holding some gains uh, despite the 10-year, just four basis points away from 2%. Oil backing off. Some big news uh, today at Peloton, Meta, earnings from Pfizer, Harley, DuPont. Our roadmap begins with Peloton struggles, company slashing the outlook, replacing the CEO, cutting about 20% of the workforce. Plus, it was the biggest chip deal in history, but it is no longer. NVIDIA's planned acquisition of ARM from SoftBank collapses due to significant regulatory challenges. And Pfizer getting a boost from COVID vaccine sales, but revenue missing and shares falling ahead of the open. We're going to start, though, with the shakeup at Peloton and John Foley stepping down as CEO. Uh, Basically a wholesale reinvention of the board. Uh, Nine directors, four of which will be appointed in the last three years. Uh, They do guide on uh, down on full year revenue, looking for three, seven to three, eight billion streets at four, two and Foley on the call. uh, Mike saying he has made some missteps. Yeah, I mean, uh, really just the epitome of of kind of boom bust uh, moving fast to try and expand capacity into unprecedented demand and then, you know, arguably having too much confidence that it was going to continue, right? That seems to be the the short version of the story. And along the way, a lot of criticism about perhaps, uh, you know, spending and management and all the rest of it. I think it was pretty, I don't know about clear, but but I think that the a lot of the news about who might buy the company and all that, I mean, I think that was sort of the atmospherics around things are a little worse than we thought. Um, you know, now we have a company that was a nine billion dollar market cap, 10 yep. billion um, that down from, uh, down from 50, down from 50. Exactly. And, um, you know, you just don't know what the run rate is. And so it's a, yeah. it's it's an interesting shift. He also you know, still controls voting. Uh, he has 40 percent voting control. Company, yeah. uh, and, you know, listen, somebody close to uh, Foley this morning tells me this is not unexpected in the sense of he has been take it for what worth uh, has been interested in or focused on potentially no longer being CEO so that this is not necessarily in their view a sudden move in the sense of his long term was to step down and remain as or become executive chairman of the company although Barry McCarthy is taking over uh, we know fairly well certainly I do of course having been the CFO of Spotify had been at Netflix uh, early in the uh, gestation of that company as well um, you know, unclear how long he will stay in this role. Haven't had a chance to speak to Mr. McCarthy. If you're out there, Barry, I'd love to. Um, but uh, uh, certainly well regarded, uh, no doubt about that. And there's still quite a few people who believe in the future of connected fitness. Um, the question, as Mike sort of indicated, though, is what's the level of spending connected with the opportunity right now? This is a company that went from a billion in spend to two billion in a very, very rapid pace adding employees uh, at a rapid pace and infrastructure and logistics and so much in terms of the supply chain, because remember, it's not just software, it's a lot of hardware. 
Uh, and they're going to have to cut that back significantly. Uh, and they are in the midst, of course, of doing that. Doesn't seem like the kind of a company that would be sold at this point. That seems unlikely. I think we were sufficiently skeptical about that possibility yesterday. Doesn't mean that there might not be interest down the road, that if there was a huge premium deal to be done, that he might not at least take a look at it. But again, he controls the fate of that company, does Foley. By the way, he also spent plenty of money on himself, too. Not just, uh, not just increasing the company's uh, capacity, but his own. You know, bought that $55 million house in the Hamptons. Uh, three and a half million shares. If you look at the proxy, and by the way, we don't know anything, you know, three and a half million shares have been pledged for personal indebtedness, right? Securing personal indebtedness, Goldman Sachs on the other side of that. But it's not like he didn't go a little bit crazy, too, on his own personal spending, enjoying what was apparently a short-term enormous yeah. inflated value. And a fair bit of, of, of outright sales of the stock, too, right? Yes. About, you know, at, at prices above. Uh, above 119, I think, or above $100 a share, anyway, for the most part. Uh, with it. It's also uh, one of these deals where you could have, if you handicapped it right, I'm not sure anybody traded it right. <laughs> because on the way up, it probably just obliterated anybody who was short on a valuation basis, short on the basis that it, the demand was going to go down. And now, uh, you know, all the way down, if you felt like it was still going to be a company that, that lasted a while, it just gets wrung out and wrung out and wrung out. So the downside to, to revenue guidance accentuates the fact that we don't really know where it settles. Uh, yeah. Meantime, Blackswell Capital continues to call for a sale. A big slide deck on, on um, online this morning, arguing for basically every legacy media company as a strategic acquirer. Um, no longer developing this manufacturing facility in Ohio, uh, which was announced last May. That's fairly large news. And then they still believe the tread ca category is bigger than the bike category. Here's what Foley did say on the call uh, earlier. But we also acknowledge that we have made missteps along the way. To meet market demand, we scaled our operations too rapidly. And we overinvested in certain areas of our business. We own this. I own this. And we are holding ourselves accountable. That starts today. Uh, they will be looking for savings in the neighborhood of $800 million from these layoffs and, and the basically a reduction of uh, expanded manufacturing. That's go, the question. Go from a billion spending to $2 billion back down to a yeah, billion. Yeah. But that also is probably why the idea of selling the company is not job one. Uh, if you're just coming in. I mean, you feel as if there's ways to to rationalize the business and, and get it back in shape and figure out what the room is. And, you know, I, I just feel like that's usually not the way it goes, that something goes from $50 billion to 10 and immediately the company wants to sell at 20 You know, that's usually, it's you know, not. It's, it's, not. A tough, it's a tough call. So for now, it's about how does it get rehabbed along the way. Yeah. A uh, lot, lot of peddling in their future. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I like turned the resistance yeah. up. That yeah, was, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's get to uh, a, a deal that uh, didn't happen as well. It was one we've talked about a lot here, of course, and Jim and I have spoken about it oftentimes, but it is now official. Uh, NVIDIA is no longer buying ARM. Uh, SoftBank reported earnings this morning. We'll have more on the earnings, by the way, later in the program. But uh, as for that deal, which would have been the largest chip deal of all time, uh, it is officially now called off. We've talked often over the last year or more uh, about expected opposition and what did come to fruition is opposition from regulators here in the United States, regulators in the UK, regulators in China. There was no shortage of, of potential opposition to this union. Uh, the only ones who seemed perhaps uh, positive about the possibility of getting it done was NVIDIA's uh, CFO, certainly when 
uh, and CEO, but uh, even they have admitted, and this was a few weeks ago, of course, already, that, uh, that this wasn't going to happen. So they terminate the deal. There is a payment from NVIDIA to uh, SoftBank, a uh, $1.25 billion breakup fee, uh, and they will uh, continue to have a relationship. NVIDIA will retain that 20-year license from, uh, from ARM. Um, here's what uh, Masayoshi's son had to say on the SoftBank earnings call. Uh, we are very much willing to do this transaction. We kept the passion for that. However, each government, regulatory, and those major players have been showing a strong position against or block the transaction. So that even with our, despite our tremendous effort, we're terminating. Uh, not much more needs to be said. They're going to try and take this thing public now. Uh, that is ARM in 2023. And again, uh, in the presentation talking about it as the largest, greatest chip IPO of all time. But uh, we'll see if it gets to the public market. But that now is the plan for ARM. Yeah. Um, is there a broader, you know, sense out there that SoftBank in general is, you know, by de- by kind of design or by necessity a little bit in trim down mode or they're, they're looking to harvest some things? Uh, at this point, the stock, their own shares down by half. Yeah, so their, their shares have declined, as has, of course, the value of the holdings. Yeah. Although when you take a look at the Vision Fund's investments, they are still well above, obviously, what they paid for. Yeah. them. a lot of embedded value there. And again, we'll get to that. You know, unclear. I mean, they did. They, there was a, a period where they got out, Mike, of yeah. operating businesses, right, obviously. Sure. Sprint and, and Arm was one of those that we viewed that way as well. They yeah. don't really, they don't want to be operating things as much as they simply want to be focused on the investment side. And so uh, this would be the only business they wholly own at this point, I believe, that they okay, fully yeah. operate. Well, I, I might be wrong. The, uh, I want to make sure the, the mobile business in Japan, of course, where all this began, perhaps as well, but haven't kept up as, as closely as I need to. Uh, we're going to have more, though, on the SoftBank numbers and come fill in some of those blanks as well. Um, fair to say that this has been so uh, tired in the making. It goes back to uh, September 2020, and a lot of people had sort of begun to write this off in some ways? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, something I brought up, though, is you remember a number of years back, uh, SoftBank owned a significant stake in NVIDIA, more than 5%, and then they sold it. And actually, you know, for an investor who likes to hang on for long periods of time, it was somewhat surprising. This deal would have brought them a significant stake in NVIDIA, made them one of the largest, if not the largest shareholder in the company. And obviously, Massa certainly just wishes he'd hung on. Because even with these recent uh, declines in NVIDIA from, what, an $800-plus billion market value uh, down into the 500s uh, of late, nonetheless, it would have been a home-run investment for him had he hung on. He did book a a game, but not the game that was available if you go back uh, from, let's call it a five-year period. one of the greatest performers, of course, has. I mean, not necessarily terrible. That I mean, given what's happened to overall semiconductor valuations since they've struck this deal, it's not as if they're caught with an asset that's not going to have decent value in ARM. Right. Uh, you know, when they eventually do take it public, if the market holds together. And then the question of what it says right now about the framework of regulatory concerns, not just FTC, but all around the world in this case. All around the world, China was always a question mark here. Now, for obvious reasons, because there was just questions about, you know, all of NVIDIA's competitors were not particularly enthused about the idea of them being able to take control here, given ARM's relationships across the board with so many of them. Uh, so this may have been unique, but when we talk about opposition potentially to deals, uh, particularly in the U.S., we're talking about it because of this new regime in terms of both the DOJ and particularly the FTC. And, uh, you know, whether they're going to be opposed to deals outright simply on the basis of not even the law that exists, but 
what they believe are the, are the market, is the market power of the acquiring company, and certainly that applies to the likes of Microsoft, uh, certainly Apple, even when we talk about a Peloton deal, if you think about it, or Amazon, just the size of these companies. And so it figures into every conversation right now. By the way, interestingly, uh, practitioners in M&A, though, indicate to me there's still the possibility of some large deals this year. Companies willing to potentially take on that risk because they feel like they have the strategic need and it's imperative that they actually do a deal that still might might fall into the crosshairs right. of regulators. Well, that's why the, the Microsoft bid is yeah. so fascinating yes. because they're willing to go through the hurdles. They are. There was even some discussion yesterday about uh, Frontier and, and Spirit. Not because of the size of the deal, right. but because it's an industry so critical to the economy, got so much federal aid in sure. the depths of COVID and so yeah. forth. And what it might mean for, for pricing on the low end. And all the airlines did rally yesterday, yeah. you know, in part on that news. There's still some regret about what was the American deal years ago and allowing that consolid the, the consolidation amongst the majors that took place. Perhaps it was one deal too many. Right. When we come back, there's a ton of earnings news in the spotlight today, including a closer look at Pfizer. They do guide a bit light. Uh, stock's going to go up and down about 4.5%. Rough start this morning. Take a look at futures. There's also DuPont. Harley got a downgrade of GM over at Morgan Stanley and Airbnb at BTIG. But Dow futures remain green. Don't go away. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Pfizer among the S&P 500's biggest decliners in the pre-market as guidance and revenue uh, amiss overshadow a quarterly earnings beat. Meg Terrell joins us now with more of those details. Hi, Meg. Hey, Mike, it really is the forecast that folks are focused on this morning that's driving the stock lower. As you mentioned, we did see that beat in the fourth quarter for earnings, slight miss on revenue, uh, but quite light as you look at both the top and bottom line forecasts for 2022. Uh, and of course, a lot of folks focused on the non-COVID part of the business as that is going to be just massive for 2022, the COVID part that is. The vaccine projected to bring in $32 billion in revenue this year, the antiviral pill Paxlovid 
Paxlovid $22 billion. That's the first forecast we've seen for that. And analysts are expecting, they say this morning, that to go even higher as Pfizer signs more deals. But of course, a lot of questions about the growth in the rest of the business and the future growth of the COVID business. Uh, the company's conference call starting at 10 a.m., they've already posted the slides of interest, the manufacturing ramp up for that antiviral pill Paxlovid. It is really stacked in the second half of the year. 120 million treatment courses the company can make this year. 90 million of that is going to come in the second half of the year. And we could see them sign more deals around that. So that could drive up their revenue and earnings estimates for the year, which is an expectation we're hearing from analysts this morning. But of course, a lot of questions on the call, guys. Future of COVID business, what's happening to the growth below the COVID business? And M&A with all of that cash, are they going to be big buyers in biotech? But the stock down now more than 4%. Guys. Yeah, Megan, it's a fascinating setup. I mean, if you look over the last two years, Pfizer shares up almost 50 percent, whereas Merck, Glaxo, Bristol-Myers, all basically flat over that period. So presumably most of that is the the COVID-related businesses. What are the key uh, factors or the key kind of new products or areas that are non-COVID for Pfizer that people are going to be looking for, you know, the longer term story? Yeah, so they've got a lot of things going on in rare diseases, a Duchenne muscular dystrophy treatment they're working on there. They're also working on different kinds of vaccines. They're continuing the mRNA partnership with BioNTech. They're taking it alone themselves. Uh, different therapeutic areas like shingles and flu. They also have a vaccine that's not mRNA in Lyme disease. Uh, they've got cancer drugs they're working on. It's a pretty big pipeline, but it's just totally overshadowed by the success that they've seen in COVID. It really has kind of vibes of Gilead and hepatitis C when they're just victims of their own success. And the street starts asking, well, how quickly is this going to decline, even as we're seeing these just massive historic numbers from the company? Meanwhile, Meg, you mentioned the Paxlovid uh, supply curve. Uh, we did get some additional uh, data from Merck on their supply to the U.S. government. Again, as you said, later in the year, when do you think it's going to be something that is uh, commonplace, where if you do test positive, it's really not a question you're going to have those antivirals available? Yeah, so it's a question both of the supply, and as we see that supply ramp up from Pfizer, 6 million courses available worldwide in the first quarter, an additional 24 million coming in the second quarter. So you're going to start to see that ramp a lot toward the middle and the end of this year. But the other question is, who can get these pills? Because right now they're only indicated for people at high risk because that's what the trials showed the benefits in. We need more data than to see that extended to everyone. But one more note that Pfizer put out this morning in its slides is that it's testing a next generation antiviral as well. So it's going to be continuing this. It's also testing it in kids. Uh, so we could see this expand. Yeah, seems like the second half certainly there'll be a lot more available. Meg, on the on M and A, which you mentioned, I mean, you know, again, this idea of redeploying the profits from COVID, essentially COVID therapies at Pfizer into other areas. I mean, they did that arena deal last year. Expectation, I would assume, is there may be more to come in that in that same sort of area. Absolutely. And certainly among biotech investors who've just been beaten down, if you look at the valuations of the IBB and the XBI ETFs, they are really hurting. So biotech investors are hoping that companies like Pfizer and Pfizer in particular, given its COVID revenues, are going to be big buyers. The question is, do they continue the deals uh, like those that you mentioned or do they do something bigger? Um, there has been a question, would they buy something uh, very large? And we'll have Albert Borla on as we're showing now in the 1 p.m. hour, the CEO of Pfizer, to ask him all these questions. 
Can't wait for that, Meg. Uh, good, good stuff as always. Our Meg Terrell uh, covering all things Pfizer this morning. We'll take a break here. Uh, by the way, as, as Meg mentioned, uh, she'll talk to Albert Borla later on uh, this, this morning or this afternoon. Tenure continues to be in focus. Uh, yield 196. We do get uh, oil some relief today as there's more discussion about the pressure on producers maybe not to grow, easing up a bit. We're back in a minute. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Take a look at some leaders on the NASDAQ 100 this morning. Peloton's going to make the list up uh, almost 3% after all of these corporate changes and management changes. J.P. Morgan does maintain its target of uh, $50. We're going to get the opening bell meantime in about seven minutes. Our roster of instructors is foundational to the Peloton user experience, and we will continue to invest in our content creators for the benefit of our growing member base. We will also continue to invest in our platforms through innovative hardware, software, and content experiences, improving our offering for both current and prospective members. That's uh, Peloton's John Foley on the call this morning as the street reacts to their news about management changes and uh, cutting a bunch of uh, investments. The street's general take is incremental positive. Um, Key keeps a $60 target, reminds us once again they remain, they still trade cheaper than the Internet e-commerce group. That's for sure. Um, Obviously not directly comparable. I think that the takeaway I have is it's holding yesterday's bounce. Yesterday's bounce took the stock from down 85% to down 80%. Uh, Probably uh, the majority of the known bad news is out there with the pre-announcement and the earnings today. And so you have a maybe increased optionality in terms of how they might improve operations or rethink things uh, going ahead under uh, under a new you know CEO and, uh, and that seems to be the the closest you're going to get but I don't know about where 60 comes from unless you want to give it really much more of an e-commerce type multiple one of the I think standout quotes in the journal piece uh, in which they do uh, interview Barry was the company got over its skis in the covid era believing that this was the new normal yeah and I wonder what the universe is of companies who kind of got into that same trap Sure. Uh, I think I'm sure there's plenty of them. The difference being most of them just, you know, hired a lot more software engineers and maybe amped up marketing spend because they were a virtual business as opposed to we bought factories. We're trying to retool for, to, to get the domestic production up. We're controlling our own delivery logistics. I mean, so all that the vertical stuff. risk. It's just the fact that it's it's physical, it's vertical, it's fixed cost. I think that was probably the, the main difference. Uh, yeah, some of the notes point out that the Ohio facility in particular, they broke ground six months ago. That's spent, what, $400 million, yeah. right? Something yeah. like yeah. that? Uh, yeah, well, listen, but again, there are any number of these names that we follow so closely. Zoom, of course, comes to mind as well. 
I mean, the 52-week high in that stock is $451, Mike. And the low, well, not far from where we are right now. Uh, the low is 134, and you got a stock at 141. And at the high, you had to really have this very expansive view of what that product set was going to be and how integral and how subscription growth was going to go. And now it's much more about maybe it is what it is, and we'll see what, uh, you know, what a normal pace of growth over a cycle might be. Well, it also may be facing future future competition from Meta. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. And the Metaverse and what that's going to mean for the enterprise and our ability to work together, but at home. Yep. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Meta, as David said, extending its losses now down 30%. Yesterday's action not particularly good after reporting last week. Meantime, NVIDIA has now leapfrogged Meta into seventh place in terms of market valuation. Um, a lot of discussion about Peter Thiel's decision to leave the board after the annual meeting. Of course, Thiel uh, was the first significant outside investor uh, in then Facebook. 2004, he put half a million dollars in. Hard to separate his motive to get into politics more actively versus maybe some argue not believing any in, in the future growth prospects. It's a, it's a tough it's tough to make the read through to be honest with you about what it means for the business except that they're in a new phase they're hunkered down he, he may have other priorities and uh, it's tough but the fact that the stock keeps going down does show you it is not past that kind of give up liquidation phase. Let's get the opening bell here at the CNBC real-time exchange at the big board it's the NAACP. And the Impact Shares ETF celebrating Black History Month at the NASDAQ. Black Women on Boards, the organization celebrating 50 years of black women serving on public boards. So uh, some of the other names we haven't yet gotten to. DuPont, again, this, this sort of habit of guiding below uh, on EPS on just essentially margin headwinds yeah. is becoming more and more common this earnings season. It has. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's to some degree expected. Um, most of the stocks are down a fair bit when they're doing this. So it's not as if, you know, people assume they were going to be able to magically preserve margins. And the stock has actually opened up, you know, three and a half percent on uh, on that news. So, you, you know, that's the the give and take of how much is already, you know, kind of uh, kind of priced in there as the, you know, the overall market dealing with, you know, that kind of margin squeeze at the same time, uh, you know, yields keep flying globally. And we're trying to figure out what that's going to mean uh, in terms of where we are in the economic cycle and what the Fed's going to have to do here. He said as banks lead at the open. Yeah, uh, banks fully capturing. In fact, today in, in the Treasury curve, it's actually a bit of a steepening action. So you have longer term uh, yields up more. The two years still up higher. Um, it's obviously the stock market sitting back, waiting for Thursday's CPI number to see if that's going to push the argument in one direction or another on perhaps a half point increase in March. The market implied probabilities of that are getting up there. They're up around 40 percent to the point where after the CPI number, the thinking is the Fed either has to endorse the idea of 50 or really talk it down because you don't want to go into uh, a meeting where it's kind of a 40-60 proposition on what, on what you're going to do. So that's probably what we have ahead of us in one direction or the other as, as the market price is in five plus for, for the Fed we, this year. 195, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in Europe, you know, they're back to 2019 level yields, mm -hmm. which are super low, but they're above zero for the most part. And, um, you know, they got there in a hurry, I think is the, you know, right. is the real takeaway. And to your point, the two year at 1317, which we just saw. I mean, Mike, anything investors should be aware of as we move closer to two, as the as you say, as things invert a bit? Well? I don't know that two is some kind of a barrier uh, there, but steeper. what me. we do know is, you know, one of the restraints on where treasuries went was global yields. So now that you have 
you know, the anchor, the anchor chains loosened on yields in Europe, and uh, you got German yields, you know, above 0.2%. If you can get a 2% percentage point spread, you can have upside to it. Um, I think the bigger question is what happens to corporate credit as yields in general go higher. It's starting to soften up. You're starting to see a lot of attention on how, you know, credit protection is getting more in demand and, and spreads are, are widening out a little bit, but everyone says correctly from very low levels and not uh, at anything that would be all that stress inducing if, if this was the, you know, kind of the going rate for, for corporate borrowing. But that's the, that's the area I think there's a lot of focus on, yeah. probably rightly so. Uh, JP Morgan note this morning says uh, they have been fielding a lot of questions from equity investors on the move in uh, investment grade CDS yes. year to date. Uh, they do point out, though, it looks dramatic on a one-year, not as dramatic on a five-year. Uh, they say the current level implies about a 5% default rate yes. compared to great financial crisis. You're talking double digits. Oh, yeah. Five is, and I guarantee five is well in excess of, of what anybody would actually predict. It's just telling you how much people are willing to pay for the downside protection. It's really a directional trade. You basically, people are saying, we think that, that credit... Uh, has seen its best moment for the cycle, so it's probably going to widen out. Either we're hedging what we already own or, uh, you know, but the, you know, people also say, you know, yields for global investors now in U.S. corporate debt look pretty good. So that could be also uh, a little bit of, a, uh, you know, something that slows down the, the rise in rates. Oil is going to be one to watch. Uh, we mentioned we're back below 90 today. Um, you got the prospect of better talks uh, with Iran. Uh, there's this ongoing uh, group think that maybe uh, Russia wants to de-escalate situation in Ukraine. Nice piece today on Reuters about producers finally moving into high-cost shale uh, yeah. as you've got uh, prices so elevated. And then City last week said short December crude. Yeah. And, and out of consensus call, but they believe that maybe mid-60s by the second half. It is interesting. Now, inflation expectations, if you look at how the market prices that, have really curled lower, and they've totally diverged from oil prices. Um, normally, they track pretty well. It's not clear which one's always right and leading and lagging. Um, but, it, you know, you have had a little bit of a response in, uh, in the oil price, which is super over. The energy stocks are all way, way, way overbought technically. And, they're, you know, I have great momentum. Long term, that's a good thing. Short term, usually you give back. I mean, I jokingly was saying that, you know, when crude reached $90, there used to be this old rule of thumb in stocks. The stocks to get to 90 get to 100. Um, it's not literally always true, but it seems like a strong tendency over history. So I'm not sure if the rule still applies to crude. But uh, it is interesting to see a little bit of rethinking of whether this is a one-way trade uh, right now. I uh, uh, did notice, guys, and I don't have the note, but I did notice shares of GM are down yeah. sharply. The, the rest of the group is also down. Ford, uh, Tesla, Rivian, Lucid, which I look at as well. Rivian, in fact, down dramatically. But Jonas out with a note, I guess, this morning as well. Yeah. Uh, not particularly positive. No, I mean, the thrust of it is that um, we're getting near peak cycle for autos. So he's saying probably this year or into next year is when you're going to have peak demand, catch up in terms of production, pricing, all those things seem like they're peaking out. And therefore, when you look at GM and Ford trading seven, eight times earnings, that's because, you know, cyclicals, when they trade cheap on peak earnings, that's not really the time to buy them. It also kind of backs away from the idea that you should value GM on a sum of the parts basis meaning that the electric vehicle uh, component of the company and, and all the rest of it can be separated out and therefore, uh, you know, given some kind of a higher sum of the parts valuation. Um, and so that's a little bit of a, uh, of a rethinking of, of how you just go about it. But I think the cyclical point is, is, is perhaps interesting. 
you know, you could also apply it to the home builders. Home builders all trade five, six times earnings right now. Everything th- you know, looks great in home building, but rates going up, it's unclear how much they can deliver. And that could be the call if you really think that affordability is not going to be a problem in housing and you think that there's going to be more life in the auto production cycle and EVs are really going to uh, you know, keep the kind of enthusiasm in the sector for a while, then, uh, then that is your, your long thesis at this point because they all look cheap and they look like they're telling you that the cycle's late. Yeah. Uh, Jonas, um not only goes to equal weight, but cuts his target. He was at 75 and goes to 55. Part of that is on the back of the guidance, but part of it, as you point out, is a change to his valuation methodology on some of the parts. The other big high-profile downgrade was BTIG going to neutral on Airbnb on, again, uh, challenging comps uh, coming out of COVID and sort of lumping it against other companies that have come off of double-digit revenue multiples. just creates a dangerous setup in their view. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, basically saying, you know, the street's giving them too much credit for coming through it and for the stock, the stock too much credit for being able to hold that valuation. And the valuation is quite high, always has been uh, with Airbnb. People just think you just buy it as this massive franchise value, which is going to be, uh, you know, gaining share perpetually. Uh, but yeah, stock down, you know, one, a little over 1% right now. Of course, it is down 29% off its off its high. So it has uh, recognized some of that danger. But yeah, the, the near-term booking trends, which interestingly suggests, again, a, a, a less dramatic Omicron effect, both on the negative side and on the reopening side than we saw in, uh, in a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the economy. Also got to wonder if, if return to office really happens this time. And I know David is skeptical. <laughs> Do you get three-month uh, Airbnb rentals <laughs> in uh, Montana, you know, this summer? 100%. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, it, and I'll tell you, firsthand experience uh, as as a sometime host, there's a lot of that. People don't <laughs> feel like they have to, you know, be anywhere in particular, and they'll take take the place for weeks on end. So yeah, it is back to actually having our what is now monthly debate about what return to office will really look like. I mean, we are we're coming up on the two year anniversary, uh, of course, of all of us uh, going to various parts unknown and some of those people still haven't come back uh, which is just uh, shocking but as Omicron does go down you know Carl you raised the point I love engaging on this it, it, there is a new mindset now when it comes to to what the expectations are for employees and flexibility certainly is a key one uh, I hear rarely of companies that have an expectation of bringing their employees back five days a week I think that has been sort of the we key. are the only one we are we are, we are. We are the only ones. We're the only ones still wearing ties, exactly. too. Yeah. You guys even wear them on Fridays. Yeah. I mean, you know. But, hey, there's something to be said for dinosaurs, as I always like <laughs> to say. Right. They ruled the planet for 300 million years or maybe more. Um, guys, I did want to get to SoftBank. We'll do it as a favor report. Why not? Uh, it's a company we used to focus a lot on. Of course, don't forget the Vision Fund is still by far the largest provider of private capital out there when it comes to venture. The size of the fund itself is enormous. You can take a look, though, at SoftBank's stock price. That's recently. You go back a bit. Uh, not that pretty a picture. There's some of the holdings. We'll get to those in a moment. But when you take a look at SoftBank over time, of course, the stock has come down rather sharply as a result of the holdings uh, in the Vision Fund, not to mention some of its other holdings outside of that as well. Why? Well, uh, because of what's going on in China uh, and a number of other things. That's a complicated uh, uh, chart there, but it, you can see some of the key holdings for the company, right? Uh, and, and what they mean to it, uh, including, of course, what has been a great accretion of value with the Vision Fund. Even now, uh, it is up dramatically from where it was 
certainly in 2020 and for a period of time where it was gaining assets. They do have Vision Fund 2. I'd say it's early to say what's going on there. But things have come down since then. And you saw some of the names that we're talking about, whether it's DoorDash or Uber or Coupang uh, or, you know, any number of other ones or WeWork, which we know didn't go particularly well for quite some time uh, or other names. Um, they've come down in value. DD, of course, is another key one that has been dramatically uh, hit as a result of actions by the Chinese government in particular to that company. But again, when you take a look at SoftBank and what Masasun is saying, listen, he acknowledges the last nine months, most of the high-tech company stock price were hit heavily. And after listing the companies invested by the Vision Fund and after divesting, uh, well, their stock prices are negatively impacted by the market. So again, he says we're still in the middle, middle of a winter storm. And the storm continues uh, at this point. Obviously, he also points to rising rates as one of the key considerations. It's a question we discuss here numerous times, of course, this move up in rates, these high multiple stocks, particularly for companies that are in their key growth phase but not earning a lot of money. And that has been a key area where the Vision Fund uh, has focused at this point. It's net asset value, though, $168 billion. That is down, but that's still up a great deal from what it was. That's overall for the company. Uh, 49% of that is the Vision Fund question as well, what's going to happen to ARM? But take a look at VC funding, because I do talk about the private markets a lot. Um, hedge funds that have benefited from their private market investments, which have become such an important component of their overall. Two of the key ones there, not that chart, guys. Two of the key ones there are, uh, there you go, are, uh, are Tiger Global. Enormous. Look at that number. And D1, Dan Sundheim, they're down the list there. Then you got a lot of the other names that you might expect as well. But Vision Funds, SoftBank still dwarfs them all, investing another $36-plus billion just in 2021. A lot of that going into some of those names that have not fared well, but certainly there's an expectation that will change. By the way, when it comes to ARM, they're also talking about what they view as significant growth there in the future for that company as they plan to now take it public next year. Just want to quickly look here. Two and a half billion dollars in revenues they see at this point, 900 million in adjusted EBITDA, talking about a V-shaped recovery. They have increased the number of engineers, by the way, to over 5,200 uh, at, uh, at ARM, Mike, to sort of go into some of the questions you had earlier. But, you know, the Vision Fund is at least more than half at this point of SoftBank. Yeah, it's incredible. And so, so it goes is how it goes. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, you know, so... With Tiger Global, with those uh, those firms that really went aggressive in, in terms of venture funding, the story was they couldn't get you the money fast enough. I mean, that was the whole sales pitch, was yes. that, you know, an idea, a meeting, a check. What I wonder on some of these uh, huge hedge funds that have significant private investments, how are they marking them? Are they marking them regularly? Do they only mark them at the time of a funding round? That's a good question, yeah. Because that Probably will have an so. impact yeah. certainly on their own valuations. You heard Leslie Picker earlier talking about some of the tough times that certain hedge funds had during the course of January. But not clear to me that they're marking those private investments at this point based on their peers in the public markets, which obviously would seem to indicate that they should be done even further. I would imagine at some point when it comes to calculating a performance fee, some client would say, let's let's get a mark on those things. Yeah, you opposed, would. I mean, I don't know how the structure is. supposed to paying yourself 20% are, exactly. of the ups on, on, uh, right, on a mark that is just on a last yeah. funding round, which, by the way, you're a key part of. Because when That's you're right. Tiger or D1, you're a key part of the whole ecosystem. You mark yourself up yeah. if you want to. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, just And also, of course, NVIDIA is barely down uh, on this news, too, as you're talking about. 
down like less than half a percent at this point. We didn't even mention uh, Oscar nominations, finally. <laughs> uh, Netflix Power of the Dog leads with 12. Yeah. Uh, and Spielberg, incredibly, the first person to get Best Director nominations in six different decades. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. So we're going to watch the media today uh, as the Dow's up 91. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob. They're yeah, going to be very exciting Oscar season right now. But with Dow's up 90 points right now. Uh, Amgen's got a nice run here. S&P is flat, though. Uh, Pfizer's weighing on the healthcare sector. Let's take a look at the sectors right now. Uh, people are watching that 10-year, folks. We're heading towards 2%. Banks are up on that. No surprise there. Industrials have been struggling because the earnings are, are tough for them. Uh, they've got price uh, and cost issues. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. Tech's flat. Healthcare is getting weighed down by Pfizer. Uh, China had a wild session overnight. Uh, the uh, the 300 CSI 300 was sitting near a new low, bounced back a little bit, but it's been all over the place uh, in the last couple of days. So let's review what's worrying the markets right now. Remember, the big concern here is basically stagflation. The worst case scenario is you get inflation and you get no growth. That's stagflation. So far, we're not, and that jobs report was very good for the idea that we're getting we got inflation, not good, but we still have growth. So inflation and growth is a lot better than inflation and no growth. That's one of the reasons that the market's been holding up so well. We are getting a lot of concerns, though, with that inflation story out there. And you can see that today with a lot of the earnings that we've seen, particularly in the big industrial names. Carrier is one that reported today. Uh, this is one of the big heating, ventilation, air conditioning uh, companies in the world. And here's the good story. Look, the growth story is there. Revenue's up 12%. Organic sales up 11%. They cited continuing order momentum. All of the industrials have cited very good sales overall, very good demand. But they said productivity and price increases were only partly offsetting higher costs. And that's the problem, the margin pressures that you're seeing. As a result, a lot of the big global industrials are facing problems. They're getting their earnings estimates lowered a bit because it's not so easy to offset the higher costs uh, with higher prices. So see these, some of these big names here in the last month or so uh, that are down. Johnson Controls, uh, Fastenal, Stanley, Black & Decker, all of them down 10 12, 14, 16 percent, as you see there, just a simple uh, summary of what's going on there. Uh, by the way, if you want to know more, if the carrier CEO is going to be on Squawk on the Street in the next hour. Carrier's down fractionally today, but overall, as I said, terrific earnings report. We'll get more on those productivity gains, price increases, and costs from Dave Gitlin, the carrier CEO. Elsewhere, remember, we're about 61% of the way through earnings season. Uh, the trends are very clear. The revenues are great. We're gonna have three and a half trillion dollars in revenues, a record high. Uh, the beats have been very modest, six, seven, eight percent versus 15% last year. This is more historically normal. And the big trend is just generally weaker guidance. The Q1 estimates have been slowly declining. This was a little bit common a few years ago, but hasn't been common in the last few years. And of course, it's because of the murky environment, including what the Fed's doing and including on price increases uh, and the ability to offset uh, the higher cost. Finally, a very curious note uh, today, just on Grubhub, the former Grubhub, uh, now called Just just Eat, they're out of here. They announced that they're delisting from the Nasdaq. Now, the company, of course, Just Eat bought Grubhub, but their company is still going to trade in London uh, and in Amsterdam. But this is kind of unusual, just a company to announce a delisting. Uh, and the reason they cited it was 
the cost savings, that there is an enormous cost in maintaining the compliance requirements for listings here in the U.S., uh, as well as overseas. And I have seen this before. I've seen private companies even cite to me this is a problem for them uh, going public because the compliance costs of being public, the legal costs are extremely high. This has been a bitter complaint for major corporations for many, many years. Compliance costs in the United States are really, really high. And here's a company that actually said, we don't think it's worth listing in the United States, Carl, considering the cost for us. That's a pretty big statement. Now, this is a, a $10 billion market cap. This is a, a small to mid-cap size company, but this is certainly potentially an issue going forward for many other companies here in the United States that have dual listings. Kind of an unusual situation there, Carl. Back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you very much, uh, Bob Bassani. Before we go to break, uh, take a look at the bond report. Uh, got the CPI coming on Thursday and J.P. Morgan uh, this morning does suggest maybe the market sits on its hands for a couple of days until that print. But for the time being, two-year, 132, 10-year, just shy of 2%. The Dow has gone green for the month to date, although most of the gains here are Amgen. We're back in a moment. Markets in a bit of a small range this morning to open. Dow's up 82, S&P down just about 7. A reminder, by the way, you can always get in on the CNBC Investing Club with Jim Cramer. Sign up and find out more at cnbc.com slash join the club. Or as always, just use the QR code on your screen. It takes you right there. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Neil Young once again taking aim at Spotify. He is urging the streaming services employees to leave the company in the wake of the Joe Rogan controversy. In a blog post, he calls out the CEO saying, quote, to the workers at Spotify, I say, Daniel Eck is your big problem, not Joe Rogan. Eck pulls the strings. Get out of that place before it eats up your soul. Meantime, you have the former president, Trump, telling Joe Rogan himself not to apologize uh, for some of these things. It really is morphing into something much larger than uh, one or two episodes of a podcast. It absolutely is. I think the, the real key is just what the deletions of the app look like, uh, if there really is a groundswell of, of consumer response. Now, I know polls have said so many people intended to delete the app or stop using Spotify. It's unclear what the traction is. The market keeps acting like there's risk there. Um, you know, the stock is down you know, 14% this month. <laughs> you know, we're only in the eighth of the month. So um, I think there's, there's certain questions about, you know, pressure on the long-term business model at a time when they needed podcasts and, and, and proprietary content to really emerge from this, uh, this mess of free services that everybody has the same music. Stock down as much because of those disappointing numbers. I mean, the sub, oh, yeah. gui the sub guidance in particular sure. was, was below what uh, what any number of investors who follow the company had expected when they reported yeah. last week. And then, of course, we're still on watch to see if a major music artist decides to also make it a cause celebre of their own. Right. In the wake of of, uh, of the Rogan episodes. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses. No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.